January. It's always, uh, I don't know if, if resolutions are such a big deal as they used to be, or maybe they're just kind of like a thing of what you do, what you talk about. I don't know how many people make resolutions anymore. Have any of you guys made a resolution and saying, I'm going to do this? Maybe I shouldn't knock it until I know a few. Okay. So a lot of times we take these opportunities to think about life. What do I want to do different in 2024? What do I want to get um, maybe better at or do more or whatever that would be? And uh, living for God, like everything else in life, is hard. And when we say, oh, I want to do better, I want to go to church more, I want to pray more, I want to read my Bible more, I want to whatever it would be, it's hard. It's easy to say, I want to do this. Um, but then when it comes down to, okay, Sunday morning, I can make that commitment um, every morning I'm going to wake up and spend 10 minutes with the Lord, and then Monday morning you wake up and it's Monday and you forget, right? And so living for God, making changes, making improvements, whatever, um, is difficult. But anything, anything in life that we try to do differently, that we want to uh, maybe use a resolution or try to improve on, it's difficult, it's hard, nothing is easy that's worth doing, right? I think that's a quote from someone. If you want to get better at something, it takes work. If you want to get in shape, if you want to lose weight, it takes work to exercise, it takes a lot of discipline to eat right, okay, to say, well, I'm going to cut this out of my life. I have a running joke in our family, mainly it's my brother, but uh, he jokes every year, I'm going to cut out pop, I'm not going to drink anymore soda for the year, and then January 1st, he's, you know, got pop in his hand. And so it's a funny, I go, okay, we can cut that out, but it's hard to actually do it, right? Carbs are delicious, and they're the most fattening thing for you, probably. well, maybe not the most. Anyway, so you get the point. If you want to get smarter, uh, more intelligent in a certain area if you want to become something that takes an education. It takes work, right? Um, you have to study, you have to read books, you have to test, you have to discipline to spend your time not doing other stuff and doing whatever you need to become skilled at a certain um, thing. If you want to break an addiction, if you want to quit a habit that you seem to always fall into, or is always dragging you away, or it's hurting relationships, quitting habits takes disciplines to cut this out of my life and replace it. That's probably the biggest key, is replacing it with something positive or beneficial to you. So what takes your time makes your time. What you spend your time doing is what will define your life's time. What you want to do, you have to discipline yourself to do it. There's even in, the, uh, in Romans, Paul kind of talks about that of uh, what we want to do, we don't always do. The thing I don't want to do, that's what I always end up doing. It's hard, right? 
to make changes in life, to whatever it would be. But as a church and as a pastor, we're going to focus on if we want to improve our Christian life, our walk with the Lord, our faith in Him, it takes work and it's hard. Don't give up tomorrow when you don't pray, okay? Don't give up. When you're reminded, um, I think the first, uh, the first theme of the Assemblies of God's uh, little prayer outline is consistency. Praying for consistency uh, in your walk with God, consistency in your prayer life. I promise you, if you would just do something extra, pray five more minutes. If you could just pause on your lunch break or if you get a you know, a 10-minute break during the day, go out to your car and spend a moment with the Lord. Like, you won't regret it. And a lot of times, again, like I said, I'm reading a book on reset. There's so many distractions. And every time we want to do something better, the enemy's always going to try to distract us. And, oh, you remember you have to do this? Remember you have to do that? And it it may not even be a bad thing. The author says every time he tries to spend more time in prayer, uh, an idea comes into his brain of what he has to do later. And then he's processing, while he's supposed to be praying, well, I have to do this, and then if I do this, we could have this, and this, blah, 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 blah. And you're planning out this thing that you didn't even know you were going to be planning for until you got into your time of prayer. And so what he does is writes that thing down. Okay, here's a great idea. I'm going to write it down. And then he'll remember it later and plan it later. Just something simple um, like that. But please, um, try to do more. Try not to give up. Whatever you're trying to do, living for God is hard. It's not easy. Push yourself um, to live for him. That leads into our series that I'm beginning, and I don't know how long it'll go. It might be uh, a few weeks, maybe six at the most. But we want to walk through the book of James. James gives us a practical wisdom, a lot of advice for living out our faith. James is one of Jesus' brothers, and he's a leader. In the early church, in the book of Acts, you'll see him uh, during Jesus' life. He wasn't very uh, prominent. You don't really hear about him until um, Acts chapter 2 and beyond that, when the, what we call the early church, we call it that because it's kind of the beginning of the structure of church. And so James is one of the leaders in that <clears throat> he was known as James the Just, Though he was not a disciple of Jesus, um, and he doesn't list himself or others don't list him as an apostle like Paul writes in his letters, Paul, an apostle of Jesus. James doesn't give himself that title or other people don't either. But it's obvious that he is well-respected and he's identified as prominent and influential leader of the first Christ followers. Both Luke in, in uh, the book of Acts and Paul um, in Galatians uh, tells of James' great leadership. And James, this letter that we have in our, in our Bible, his letter is more of a collection of advice 
some simple statements that he expounds on, much like if you're reading Proverbs or you know some of the uh, Psalms, and where uh, Solomon just gives simple statements of uh, of wisdom. James kind of does that throughout his letter. There's uh, there's a lot of them, and it flows like a letter, but then there's uh, longer sections where he'll expound, like you've probably heard of the taming of the tongue, and he, that's one of his uh, famous parts of his letter, and that takes up most of chapter 3, and then there's some other uh, simpler, not simpler, uh, shorter statements that he doesn't expound so much on. Interesting, he uses 34 about 34 phrases in his letter that match Jesus' spoken words. That when you read in the Gospels something that Jesus said, James in his letter 34 times uh, uses those phrases. So we can surmise from it that James is refreshing Jesus' teachings to the people he's writing to. And in the beginning verses, uh, he's writing to uh, the 12 tribes that have dispersed. Your Bible may say something around that effect. Mainly, he's not writing to one church like Paul wrote to Galatia or Ephesus or um, places like that. James is writing to Christians everywhere okay, and giving his, his wisdom that he's gained. It's one of the earlier uh, letters that were written. So most of the New Testament in the book of Acts, after the book of Acts, sorry, most of those letters are written, you know, 50, 60, 70 AD. And James is writing um, just before that. They, They say probably in the 40, 50 AD, Jesus died, rose again in 33 AD approximately. So it just kind of gives you uh, just a little background information of what's happening. Some of his topics that James writes about is persevering through trials, the process of temptation to sin, how temptation comes into our life and leads to sin, and sin leads to death. He talks about being doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. He tells us what pure religion is, taking care of the widows and orphans in our life, treating people fairly. He talks about faith and works, taming our tongue, like we mentioned, uh, what things to avoid. He tells us wisdom, he gives us wisdom from above, and he tells us how and when to pray. All of those topics and more are covered in this short book. When I was studying, if you want to read it, you could probably read it while I'm preaching today and finish it. It's five chapters and pretty, um, pretty quick, pretty easy reading. We're going to tackle some of these. I'm going to cover all of his uh, topics in the coming weeks, but we'll take some of the bigger ones and learn from them. So today, if you'll turn to James chapter 1, we're going to read... Um, starting at verse 19, where today we're going to focus on 19, 20, and 21. It's right in the middle of a section. Uh, some, most Bibles make this a paragraph. One of the Bible I kind of study from, there it continues with 
uh, being doers of the word, not just hearers. Today we're going to focus on listening, being quick to listen. And so um, the following paragraphs and the preceding paragraphs kind of fit together, but um, we're going to focus on these three verses here. So if you don't know where James is, go to Revelation and go backwards a few if you get to Hebrews, it's right after Hebrews. So James is uh, he, after Hebrews and before Revelation. So James chapter 1, starting at verse 19. He writes, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So our first tip, I was trying to figure out how, how I could give this series a clever name. We could talk about how to have a successful life, living your best life. You want to be uh, living out your faith, however it could be. I came across what was on our title was practical uh, faith. I forget how I worded that. Anyway, practical living, practical faith, something like that. These are going to be simple tips that we can understand. You could probably preach, what does it mean to be quick to listen and slow to speak? Uh, someone want to come up and preach for him? Just kidding. I've prepared, and it's going to be good. But if we want to have the best year ever, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, slow to wrath. Breaking down this short phrase we're going to focus on is um, being quick is being swift, being being ready to listen, being swift to hear, being slow to speak. Slow, there's nothing uh, really deep about that meaning. It's the speed of what we do. It's not uh, referring to someone not being as smart as another person. It's literally saying, be slow to speak. Pause, wait. Don't be as quick as you are to listen uh, to give a response back, slow, uh, be slow to speak, don't rush. To listen uh, means to understand, to perceive the sense of what is said, so be quick to understand what the person is speaking to you. Be quick to perceive uh, what they're saying. And to speak, to be slow to speak, means to use words to declare one's mind and thoughts. See, you guys knew that's basically what we would define speech as. So be quick to understand what's being said to you and be slow in your response back. That's basically my translation of this section. Listen to understand first. Speak a reply after you have given it thought. And don't respond in anger. I'm not going to focus too much on uh, the anger part of this verse. I want to focus on what are we going to listen? What are we listening to? 
more, but um, being slow to anger. Sometimes we say, well, Jesus was uh, angry at, you know, in a righteous anger. And there is a verse that says, um, in your anger, do not sin. So it's okay to uh, be mad at circumstances or things that come in life, but in that, don't react in a way of wrath. Some of your Bibles would use wrath instead of anger or indignation. You're indignant about what just happened to me, okay? Be slow to respond that way, although it is an okay response if you don't sin in doing it, if you don't punch the dude's lights out or, or, or say something uh, that would be offensive back to them or hurtful back to them, okay? So my thought on the, my translation, as I've said, listen to understand first, speak reply after you've given it thought. A couple of quotes from ancient wise people that I couldn't find who to uh, attribute these quotes to, but a lot of people uh, have written about them. Men have two ears and but one tongue that they should hear more than they speak. And the ears are always open, ever ready to receive instruction, but the tongue... And I've never read this quote before. It's really cool. But the tongue is surrounded with a double row of teeth to hedge it in and to keep it within proper bounds. <laughs> your ears are always, even at night, it's like something wakes you up because your ears are working. They're always listening, right? And our tongue, our words, we can keep our lips sealed. We can keep our teeth clenched, keep our tongue behind that, that lock and key, right? <laughs> so our ears are always listening. They're always attentive. But are we listening? Thankfully, God created us with the ability to keep our mouth shut and our tongue locked up and our lips sealed. James chapter 3, and we will... I promise you we'll talk about this because words are powerful. Uh, James chapter 3 gives a long teaching of the power of the tongue and the power of our words. And so I'll wait uh, to get into that. But today, I want to focus on being quick to listen and slow to react. I have a couple of illustrations that uh, will help us through this Bear with me if you're not a sports person. I do have a, a Christian, a spiritual illustration as well. But being quick to listen and slow to react. Imagine I love baseball. So uh, imagine someone comes to me and they're putting together a baseball team. Okay, and they want all the greatest players of, of all time. And, and this person asks me, who's the best hitter of all time? And without thinking, I can recall uh, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Tony Gwynn, Shohei Otani, if you pay attention to baseball now, he's probably going to be the greatest ever. And I can easily spout off those guys, and you've probably, everybody's heard of Babe Ruth, right? I think so, yeah. The rest of the guys, uh, you may not know as much, but you know him. But if I were to listen to understand that he is asking me for the player who is best at hitting home runs. Well, now you're kind of 
you're kind of focused in on a certain thing. Well, Babe Ruth hit a home run probably 25% of the time. Tony Gwynn, who's my favorite player, only hit a home run maybe 2% of the time, 5% of the time, maybe. Okay? And uh, the one that is best at hitting uh, to get on base would be that's different than the guy that I need to hit a home run. Okay? If I want a guy to hit a home run, I want Babe Ruth because he did that more than others. But he didn't get on base very much. So if I need a player that can get on base, I'm probably going to take Tony Gwynn who got a hit and was on base probably 50% of the time. And Babe Ruth got out a lot, but he hit a lot of home runs. Okay? None of you really talk baseball, so you might relate to football better. So if someone asked me the greatest football player of all time, and I, I did the same thing, and, and I just reacted, well, Tom Brady's the greatest of all time. I don't like Tom Brady, but he's probably... I'm to the point in my life until Patrick Mahomes wins a few more Super Bowls, okay? But if the person, if I thought more and listened more to what the person was trying to put together a great football team, Tom Brady's not good at running, and he's never played defense, right? He can't catch the ball. And so if we... If this person is wanting to put together a great team and I just spouted off the best player, well, that's not what he's asking for. I wasn't listening well. I was reacting quickly, okay? When someone talks to you about anything, anything, allow what they say to run through the processor of your mind and your heart, and your soul. Too often we just say the first thing that pops up. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it could be selfish about ourselves and a similar story than what they're saying. Or it could be just a reaction of uh, what we know and what we think. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll just say that. Just respond that way. So no more sports. I'll get to a, a spiritual illustration here. Imagine you are in a conversation. Okay, you're in a conversation with someone that's not a Christian. And in this conversation, they make the statement, I don't think God loves me. I've been in a lot of conversations uh, where that comes up with people, even Christians already. Think, I, I don't think God loves me. If I were to uh, just react with my first reaction and I say, yes, Jesus does love you. Jesus does love oh. Am I right? Yeah, of course I'm right. Jesus loves everyone. But if I were to listen to understand what this person is trying to get at, they just don't think that, they, that God can love them. They, they don't doubt that God loves. That person would probably say, of course God loves loves me, but they don't really believe that God can love them because of something they've done. I'm too bad of a, of a, a person. I've sinned too much. I have did this really bad thing, and God could never love me. 
you learn the best response is to explain to them the grace and the mercy of our loving God, that he loves and he forgives the worst of sinners. Because you have learned how great his love is for you, and because you have experienced that, and that you understand that he doesn't wait for us to clean up our act before he saves us, before he loves us. But that's our human, our human mindset is I, I have to be a certain way before God could ever love me. I have to be worthy enough. But in this conversation that you're having with this person, as you're being quick to listen and slow to respond, as you're processing what's happening, what they're actually saying, you can learn and you can understand out of what you know, out of your experience, out of the scripture that you've memorized, that you've hidden his word in your heart. You can recite to them John 3.16, God so loved the world. You know, and you can say these things after you have processed, after you've thought through and you have wisdom and the Holy Spirit speaks through you and you can respond in a ministering, in a loving way. When we listen first, we learn valuable insights from who we are listening to. Then we can respond in the best way. That is wise counsel from James. Great advice. If you want to have better relationships, better friendships, if you want to have a better marriage, even better interactions with acquaintances, this is a great lesson that you should put to practice. Be quick to listen. Be slow to, re- to speak. Not only is this valuable in the context of positive conversations like the, the sports one and the, you know, the Christian unbelieving one, but it's how many of our conflicts, how many of our negative are argumentative uh, when someone does something wrong to us. How many of those conflicts, how many of those problems could dissolve or never even materialize if we would listen to a point of understanding a person's concern? And then we waited until our initial, usually impulsive, get defensive, they hurt me, so I'm just going to strike back and hurt them. If we waited until that reaction passed, waited until we prayed, waited until we allowed the Holy Spirit to uh, help us to remember uh, something we've known deep inside of our data processor. I keep using that word throughout the sermon today, but in our heart, in our mind, our soul, then we respond. When we're quick to listen and we're slow to speak and we're slow to become angry, a lot of these problem uh, conversations would not happen if we could just pause, just slow down. Listening is a mark of humility. 
It's something we do when we consider someone else more significant than ourselves. Quieting our response brings our best response. Proverbs 17, 27 says, He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Thus, giving us our best response would be Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. When we give a sweet response, a gracious response, man, you never know the life that you bring instead of the death that you bring. But we'll save that for, I'll really step on some toes when we talk about taming our tongue in James chapter 3. If you want to get ahead of us and kind of soften the blow, uh, read that for yourself. (laughs) But James goes deeper. This is a great lesson. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and a lot of application for even non-Christians. I could I could teach this lesson uh, to anybody in, that ever interacts with people. Okay? It's a great lesson, but James takes it deeper. What are we listening to? The lat <clears throat> in this paragraph that we read in James 1, 19 through 21, the last statement is really the key verse uh, to the statements before and actually after. It's actually a theme of his whole book, okay? He says, humbly accept the word, or in humility receive the word planted in you, which can save you. Humbly accept the word, humbly Receive the word planted in you. What are we listening to? What should we listen to? God's word. This word implanted that, he, that James uses is related to the Greek word. There, It's all in Greek. So the Greek word for nature. So uh, he's saying that it's implanting the implanting of the word in us that transforms our nature. Jeremiah 31, 33 confirms this. God declares, I will put my law, my word, within them. And on their heart, I will write it. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. Paul writes in Romans about our sinful nature, our flesh that we are inclined to think and do evil, sinful things. We're born into this sinful world. We've talked about that. You guys understand that. Our nature is to sin and to do evil. Can we do good? Yeah, there's both sides happening, kind of like what I mentioned earlier we want to do good we don't always do it or the thing we don't want to do we end up doing it that's the section of paul that he's talking about our sinful nature we're inclined to think and to do wicked evil sinful things but god transforms 
our nature. He transforms our will to his. It's a powerful thing that takes place in our heart and in our mind. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We really uh, need that. We really rely on that uh, if we want to listen to understand. If we want to be slow to speak, slow to, if we want to respond in the best way, if we want to speak life, and we need to change the data processor in our mind. And God transforms our mind to, to put on his mind, the mind of Christ. To put on his will, to focus on his will more than our will. When we, uh, when we do that, our life is transformed. A commentary uh, says that our nature, our will, can only escape the death that's, that James describes a few verses earlier in 14 and 15. We can only escape death if its nature is transformed by God's word as the wisdom that conforms our will to God's will. It's a, going back to my introduction, okay? It's easy to say, I need your will, God. I need you to transform, renew my mind. Help me to think better. It takes work. You can make the promise today. Man, God, I, I renew my mind today. Help me today. Change my mind. <laughs> it takes work. It takes time, allowing God to work in your life, allowing God to uh, help you to get rid of the old things, to get rid of the old ways of doing those things, your old thought processes, your old uh, wisdom that you thought was right. Okay, All of that, it takes time. But allowing God to do it, allowing him to renew your mind will transform your life. Another truth from this portion of James is that God's word must be received or humbly accepted. His word in our life is there for everyone. It's free. There's nothing you have to do. Um, No amount of money you can put in the offering or times that you can come to church or good things that you can. There's nothing that you have to do to earn God's free gift. Salvation is another free gift from the Lord. He's blessed us with. And he's given each of us his word. He's placed it in our life. And it's a gift. In verse 5 of chapter 1, James tells us of God gifting us wisdom. If you lack wisdom, ask and he'll give it to you. He freely gives it to all of us, but it must be received, okay? Hence the emphasis on being quick to listen, quick to take it in, be quick to understand, right? (laughs) Listening is a verb 
Sure, our ears are always taking in noise, right? They're always attentive to the sound around us, okay? But we aren't always listening. And wives don't amen so loud. I can pick on my wife, now I'm going to pick on myself, right? My ears are always listening, are always hearing, but not always listening. God has given us the Bible to read and to take in his word. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand and helps us to apply it in our life, recalls it in our mind when we're going through something, speaks to us when we need wisdom. Do this, remember this, where God's word says this, God's word says that. Okay? All of these are ways that we receive God's word into our life. When we're praying, God speaks to us. When we're reading, when we're hearing the word of God, he's speaking to us. All of these are ways that the word is implanted in our life. We just celebrated uh, Christmas, and a lot of the celebration is in giving of gifts, right? So, If I receive as a gift, if someone gives me a tool set or they give me a leadership book on pastoring or if they uh, give me a cooking uh, griddle, I was trying to think of something that would help you be a better cook. So whatever would help you do things faster or better or more efficient. If someone were to give me one of those and After I open it, oh, wow, a tool set. I could do this with a tool set. Now I can fix this. Now I can lead the church better with this book. Awesome. It has great thoughts and ideas. Oh, the cooking. Man, we can do so much more uh, with this griddle. But if I place it on the shelf in the shop or in my office or in a cabinet in the kitchen, and I never take it out, I never use the tools, okay? Again, wives don't start throwing us under the bus. Just kidding. But if I'm receiving a present and I never use it, is it going to help me? No. You guys can get this. I see some tired eyes out there, but I think you can understand. This is a pretty simple uh, illustration, right? The Word of God is a gift, to us, but if it sits and collects dust or has other things set on top of it, if we have it in our bookshelf to look cool, man, I have this giant Bible. Oh, man, wow, you must be a really good Christian. Yeah, I don't know what it says, but I have it, right? We're not going to be better. We're not going to know the Lord more, okay? We're not going to be able to pray and ask God and help me. And if we don't know what his word says, how can he remind us of that? Okay? It's like we don't have the tools. We're not using the tools that he has equipped us with. In verse 21 of uh, James. Sorry, let me back up. Praying will transform your life, but only if you utilize it. You're not going to say, I want to know God more, and then never spend time with him. Or we can't say, 
you know, I've never experienced God. Have you talked to him? Have you read his word? Have you spent time uh, with God? When we place his word into our heart, when we place his word in our soul, in our mind, we will be made new. It will change us. It will transform our lives. Verse 21 says, putting aside all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted in your souls. God's word in us helps us to put aside our unrighteousness. His word in us, God in us, puts aside our filthiness, our wickedness. To bring it all the way back around our new mind, our transformed mind, when we spend time with God, when we put his word in us, we're changing that data processor, okay? The software that used to be used to have, it used to be our filter that we would filter all of our responses through. What, what wisdom do I have for this person? When, when a teenager would come to me, I need some advice. I don't know if I can give you advice, but here goes. But now that I'm old and experienced stuff, okay, now I feel like, okay, I could probably have some wisdom for what you've gone through. When we have that mindset when we have God's will, God's nature in us, and we're in these conversations, and we're having these interactions with people on a day-to-day basis, when we're filtering it through that data processing machine, right, that mind, we're going to uh, be better listening. We're going to be better reacting. We're going to be better responding, You're going to find that uh, the person will receive what you say back better. That the fruit of those conversations will be better. Our old self may have selfishly spit out a quick reply or or elevated, uh, maybe elevated our own uh, problem or, or attacked them back. But God, now, having transformed our thinking, and has downloaded his word into us. He has equipped us. We now can take in what is being said to us, and we can process it through his mind, process it through who we are in Christ. We can process it through his scripture and his word, and our response would speak life, speak love, and speak healing. Would the worship team come and we'll wrap up.